Well, we're going to see how the other side of the world is dealing with the pandemic today. Let's bring in former NL News Director, now a freelance journalist in Faborg, Denmark, Shane Woodford. Hey, Shane, how are you? I like that you nailed Fabor and then uh, skipped on Denmark. That was good. Yeah. What, uh, <laughs> what, what didn't I get right? You're like, Denmark. Denmark. First of all, how's the Woodford family holding up? Yeah, it's uh, we're doing okay. Um, I keep telling people the the negatives are like mostly psychological at the moment. I mean, every day is like a it's like a Sunday morning here, right? Where most of the stores are closed and grocery stores are open. There's fewer cars in the road, fewer people walking around. The negatives are just the the stuff of the mind, you know, knowing that the border is closed and that uh, even though we can go out and do stuff, we're not, you know, restrained to our homes, uh, that there is sort of a certain limit on my sphere of travel. Uh, The the psychology of, like, knowing the virus is out there and sort of being hyper aware of what you're doing and how close you're coming to other people and, you know, washing your hands when you get home and, and that sort of fear that gnaws at you. Well, like, okay, what happens if, if one or more of us gets it? Um, but, I mean, life is life is okay here. You, I mean, it's it's kind of nice to be together as a family and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I could do without sort of that hazy fear thing that's kind of working on the edge of your mind. Hey, Shane, it's Bill. Um, what, now, you've been, I, I've been reading your updates and you've been following us very closely, of course. Uh, have you noticed anything that's going on in, uh, in, in Canada or in, in North America compared to, like, how, how, does, how does Denmark or Europe compare to handling this compared to North America? Is there any difference, do you see? Yeah, um, it, uh, it's not Europe as a whole. I think the differences kind of break down country to country. I mean, even between Canada and the United States, you're seeing or even some of the provinces within Canada, you're seeing starkly different approaches. Uh, Denmark was super quick, like super quick, um, to lock everything down. Uh, before the numbers were even there to kind of go, oh, we're in trouble. I mean, they just said, we're locking it. We're closing the borders. We're closing the stores. People got to work from home. And the public service is shutting down. Schools are shutting down. Like, they shut the entire country down. And in the weeks that have ensued, um, they've done the numbers here in Denmark have been held uh, to a lower curve than what they might otherwise be. And I've noticed sort of a trend, you know, if you look at Denmark, you look at Slovakia, you look at Poland, uh, you look at Norway, just four countries that decided that they were going to be proactive and not reactive. Uh, they've all seemed to be weathering the storm fairly well. Other countries that were completely unprepared, didn't do anything. Italy is obviously the, big, the biggest example of that. France, Spain, um, an interesting example, uh, which hasn't uh, sort of taken a corner yet is Sweden, which is really close to me here in Denmark. But they have taken the approach in Sweden of basically taking the strategy to ignore there's an outbreak going on. I mean, there's all everything's open. Yeah, it's I've, unbelievable I've, the difference between Denmark and Sweden. Yeah, I've noticed that. What do you, and, uh, and from Sweden, I found that I found that shocking because you know the Scandinavia is so progressive. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's kind of interesting to watch because there's big cracks developing in their strategy now. And they, I, well, their their head of their health ministry did a, an interview in a Danish newspaper last week where his last line was, "Well, we'll see which country finishes best," which I thought was a bit snarky for the environment we're living in. 
But the last two days, they've had the first and second highest death toll. I mean, not catastrophic. They're talking like 36 lives lost, which to the friends and family, I mean, that that's totally a tragedy not to underplay that. But when you compare it to things like Italy or Spain, where they're losing, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred lives a day, uh, it does put some context in that. But people are looking at those rising numbers, and I think that um, there's going to be a bigger and bigger hue and cry in Sweden to change course and to do something. The question will be, will it be too late? Because the backside of that is um, if you're not doing a lot of testing, then you don't know what's going on in the population. And if the community transfer of the virus, which is highly contagious, is just, you know, going around unchecked. It just takes one person to walk through a crowded bar and all of a sudden you've got cases coming out the wazoo. Sweden has no idea what the sort of community transmission of COVID-19 is. And so they're reacting to purely testing people who are highly symptomatic. So in Sweden's case, they're really rolling the dice. They could either get through this sort of okay and be like, ha-ha, I told you so, or things could go drastically wrong, and by the time they actually move to counteract it, it's going to be way too late. But uh, it's sort of a yet-to-be-remain-to-be-seen situation there. Right, kind of like uh, our United States uh, next to us. Uh, Shane, the United, United States is a, the United States is a mess, Howie. Like yeah. you're going to see in the United States the highest numbers of any country, and that is the country that is supposed to weather the storm the best. They're, they were ranked the, I mean, ranked the absolute highest for uh, enduring a pandemic, and they have absolutely and catastrophically dropped the ball. Like I am literally scared of what the United States is going to look like in two weeks. The rise in numbers there, both in new cases, they're adding them at about. 18, 19, now 20,000 new cases a day. That's unheard of. Even in Italy, it never climbed that fast. Mm -hmm. And deaths are starting to rise, too. And if you look at the numbers like I have the last couple of weeks, really getting my head into it, the coronavirus is a lot like a snowball. You know, it's there. It starts to roll downhill. Okay, okay. And then it just reaches a size and mass where it's unstoppable. Like, if you don't smash that snowball when it's small, like doing the lockdowns and the um, the social distancing and all these kind of stuff, then you're going to risk what you, happened in Italy, what's happening in Spain, and what is certainly happening in the United States is that the pandemic is out of control and they're just going to have to somehow deal with it. And the loss of life in that country is going to be staggering. Right. And, and I hate to bring up the political aspect of it, but of course there's people thinking about that as well. Is Is this something, I mean... Uh, stranger things have happened. Is this potentially going to bring down the Donald or and and or perhaps the empire yeah. of the United States? Yeah, I don't, I don't. That's a little outside my scope. I, I will say that it's interesting how a pandemic like this, when suddenly humanity has a common enemy, all of a sudden the really cheesy partisan awfulness, which we were neck deep in, you know, just a few weeks and months ago, uh, suddenly seems so childish. And you're seeing uh, political leaders who are either rising to the challenge and showing exemplary leadership, and you're seeing others that are walking around like blithering idiots because they are clearly outclassed and have no idea what's going on and no idea how to handle it. And that goes across all political spectrums. I mean, Doug Ford in Ontario uh, has done an amazing job of suddenly, you know, okay, we have a crisis, and he has risen to that challenge. Donald Trump in the United States has gone the other direction. He is totally and absolutely clueless. And if anything, uh, he's bent over backwards to make the situation worse, which is what the United States doesn't need. Like, I, again, I am, I am literally scared for where that country is going in the next week or two. 
I, I think he's backed off on uh, opening things up, uh, you know, right after Easter. However, I did hear your prime minister uh, is talking about letting the letting the foot off the gas after Easter, and I guess that's because they got an earlier start on uh, controlling the yeah. the pandemic. But uh, um, so. How does this not happen in another 18 months? Uh, apparently the, the wet markets well, in it, Wuhan, it Shane, uh, the wet markets in Wuhan have uh, apparently started reopening. And, uh, you know, how does this yeah. not happen again in another 18 months? Well, well, here's the, here's the basic fact that we've got to keep in front of us. The coronavirus is now out there. Um, until there is a vaccine, which is not something that's going to happen anytime soon, we're going to have to deal with the coronavirus one way or another. That's just a fact of life now. Uh, it's been let loose in the world, and now it's going to be out there like any flu or whatever. And so it's going to be very interesting and unnerving to see how the world proceeds, because I think a lot of people think, okay, maybe it's going to be like SARS. We beat it all down and suddenly SARS is not a thing anymore. That's not the case in the coronavirus. We could secure an end to the outbreaks now, stamp out a few here and there. There's a scenario, and I know that the Danish health ministry is, is preparing for two scenarios because we still don't know how the virus behaves. They're modeling one after the Spanish flu, which propped up in the spring, in the spring went away in the hot summer months, and then roared back in the following fall and winter and actually claimed more lives then. So they're modeling after we might get a summer respite. Maybe the outbreak kind of ceases in the summer months, and then we've got to prepare for whatever the fall and winter might bring. The other scenario is that there is no respite in the outbreak. The coronavirus simply bounces around the world and causes outbreak after outbreak, and we've got to jump on it uh, as a global community and stamp it out wherever it happens until we get a vaccine. Again, we don't know which of those two scenarios will happen, but health experts, are, at least here in Denmark, are are preparing scenarios for both of those. But like I said, it is out there. And until we get a vaccine, that is it. Until we get a vaccine, um, we're just going to have to deal with this thing. And I know that some people are talking about herd immunity, which is fine. But the basic theory behind herd immunity is the virus goes burning through the population. Uh, everybody gets it, develops antibodies, and then there's fewer hosts. And then the virus can't find, you know, it's a rare, rare chance of an outbreak because there's fewer people who are going to get it. Uh, and that's all fine and good. But the herd immunity scenario also leaves behind an untold amount of debt, as the Spanish flu did. And that's something we have to think about as well. Right. Uh, how how are you keeping a five-year-old entertained? Or, or, is, uh, he, or, is, or is he entertaining you? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. It's challenging for sure. Um, and it's also, like I said, it's a little nerve-wracking, right? Like I'm hyper-conscious of... Uh, getting him to wear gloves going outside. And as soon as we come back inside, we wash our hands. And there's that always that sort of lurking thought of, like, what happens? What happens if if this happens or that happens? That kind of thing. I think he really misses his friends for sure. And, um, he's too young to sort of understand fully what the situation is. He knows that it's different and we're doing things we don't normally do. And I think psychologically he's sort of picking up on the stress and he's a little more emotional than he might otherwise, you know, have been in the last few weeks. So we're just doing our best to kind of keep a level of normalcy around the house and, you know, enjoy spending time together and kind of waiting to see how this thing will unfold. And we'll have to see. I mean, in two more weeks, as you said, Meta Frederiksen, who's the prime minister here in Denmark, uh, said yesterday that if the numbers hold and they're quite positive so far, uh, then we're going to do a, a phased-in restart of the economy uh, in the week after Easter, which in itself will be a whole other ball of wax. It was interesting to note she actually said, it may be more difficult to restart the economy than it was to shut it down. 
are you seeing the same kind of human behavior on that side of the world as we're seeing? Are you are you seeing the the hoarding um, and the the general level of um, I, I wouldn't say panic, but uh, not yeah. thinking, yeah, you know, stupidity maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to be fair, we're seeing some of it. I mean, it's, we're not immune to it over here, but by and large, I don't think, at least in Denmark, that I mean, I think most of the population has recognized, okay, this is serious. Okay, we need to react to it. And they've done everything appropriately. Everyone I've talked to has been, you know, had high marks for the government for taking the drastic approach because Denmark is weathering the storm as well. That said, there have been cases where people have not done what they're supposed to do. Um, the system over here allows for a lot of leniency in everyday life. There's not as much rules and regulations as there are in North America. But when there are laws to violate, they are quick to level heavy fines. So here, if you uh, are caught in a gathering of 10 or more and you're not an immediate family, this is both inside and outside, then that's a $300 Canadian fine per person. If it's inside a business establishment, it's an instant $1,000 Canadian fine. And there's certainly been cases where those have been handed out. But, uh, you know, I saw um, drone footage over Aarhus in Denmark the other day. That's uh, Denmark's two largest cities, uh, Copenhagen and Aarhus, rather. Um, and the streets were virtually empty. They were both ghost towns, which is just stunning. But I think the country has taken it as a whole very seriously. And, yes, there have been some violations. We haven't seen the hoarding you guys did. There was a little bit of it when they announced the first kind of restrictions about two weeks ago. It was a 24-hour period where the shelves kind of emptied out a bit, and then everything's been back to normal. I haven't seen one item that we've run out of in the last few weeks, and I've been to the grocery store, you know, every day, if not every second day. Uh, so people here have been very rational and thoughtful about it, and it's kind of distressing to see what's going on back home because I know my parents down the lower mainland, um, they're seniors and they're very much in the high-risk group, and they were needlessly exposing themselves to potential infection the other day, just wandering around from grocery store to grocery store just trying to find some kind of flour, mm-hmm. and that's insane. So, And that kind of stuff just makes me furious. Shaner, uh, we're, we're out of time. Really appreciate your time. And uh, wish you and your family all the best. Yeah, anytime you guys want to reach out. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah that's great. Great hearing your voice. There's Shane yeah. Woodford. Uh, happy belated birthday, Bill. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, boss. <laughs> all right, Shane Woodford joining us from Faborg, Denmark.